Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show goes where you go to have those mastermind moments and aha experiences that move your business forward with that slight edge and bring you that much closer to being able to serve from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Today, we come to you from the living room of my sumptuous Las Vegas apartment here in the hottest city in America. We have come to you from various other places, and today I'm hanging out with my office supervisors as we get into a discussion about exiting your business. That's right, exiting your business. 81% of business owners want to, at some point, exit their business, whether it's by selling it, closing it, merging it, evolving it, whatever that looks like. But most are going to fail without one key element that I'm very excited to discuss with you today. And to guide us through this topic, we have Chris Vanderzeit, who is an author, speaker, and leading educator on exit planning and mergers and acquisitions. She's a founder of Legacy Partners, LLP, an exit planning and M&A, excuse me, M&A advisory firm dedicated to creating and executing exit strategies for privately held business owners. Uh, she is the best-selling author of Seven Steps to Entrepreneurial Victory and has a new book out, Master Your Exit Plan, Sell Your Business, Preserve Your Legacy, which offers a step-by-step roadmap to successfully selling a business and includes in-depth advice from five preeminary, preeminent, oh, so preeminent industry contributors. So Chris's website is at LegacyPartnersLLP.com. And with that, Chris Vanderzyden, come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. I appreciate you having me. All right. I only read off a piece of your official bio because just the part that I shared is so impressive. I'm not sure if I'm worthy to be here. And this is my show. So rather than me read it off in stentorian tones, what we'd like to do is actually give you this opportunity. And what I mean by that is have you tell us a bit before we dive into some of the primary points you want to share with us today as you express to me in the green room, tell us a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion as you do today. Oh, thanks, Adam. Yeah, so, um, uh, you know, from the very beginning, I was um, I started out with PricewaterhouseCoopers. Most people know that as one of the big four accounting firms. I was a real estate tax specialist. And then at the age of uh, 30, Two, I helped my then uh, husband sell his first business. And although I was a very astute CPA, had a heavy finance background, we made every mistake in the book. 
okay. um, sold the company. That was my first wake up call to M&A. And then uh, eventually I made my, my way from Los Angeles, where I was at the time, back to the New England. And we started a family. I gave up um, an opportunity to become partner in an asset management company. And when I when I came back to the Northeast, I started a company. And I, I ran that for 17 years, um, was able to successfully sell it. Um, at that point, understood the mergers and acquisition process and then started my journey as an entrepreneur and having developed, uh, I'm on my third business now, ground up and having sold two, I really got involved with consulting with business owners on how to build their business and then successfully exit. So I'm a little I'm a little bit different than a lot of people out there who speak on this topic because I actually walk the walk, you know, and it's not just talking it. I've been an entrepreneur. I've sold businesses. Now, um, as a partner with Legacy Partners, we actually work with uh, entrepreneurs. We specialize in privately held middle market, and we help them position their company to get ready for sale, and then we walk them right through the M&A process. So um, that's really, that's the the real goods of my background right there. <laughs> right, right, right. So one of the things you've shared with me is that there are, in fact, six business exit strategies. Now, what are they and how does somebody go about determining which is best? Yeah. So, you know, the the basic six that we have out there is, um, you know, business owner may want to consider a, a family succession that used to be much more popular decades ago, but now is not so popular. The next generation doesn't uh, often have an interest in their parents' business. And the failure rate on that is, is pretty high. Only about 4% of family successions ever make it to the fourth generation. So, but that that is a viable exit strategy, but needs to be planned well in advance to get the next generation ready to run the company. Um, management buyouts, sometimes that'll happen. Uh, ESOPs, um, a public going public is really, you know, of course, that's the big sexy feather in an entrepreneur's cap is being able to take a business public. But that means that you've got to have a company that's so well positioned and can show an upward growth tra- trajectory. That's quite, you know, remarkable. Um, the most common exit strategy is really to sell it to a, outright to a third party and uh, either to a strategic or a financial buyer. And if you're entertaining a financial buyer, we have what's called a recapitalization, which is where an owner will sell their business to, uh, for instance, a private equity group. And then at close, they'll buy back an equity position and they'll continue in partnership with that financial buyer and growing that business further. Okay. So when you say continue in partnership with them, does that mean they yep. continue to have a role even after they sell? Yes. Yep. And, and that's a great strategy for a lot of business owners because they may not be ready to, to retire and, or they built a business to the highest level they can with their resources, both, both in uh, capital resources and also in, in just talent of being able to grow that business. So they may want to sell, draw in an equity partner, draw in somebody who can bring financial um, abilities, capital to the table, as well as expertise, and then continue to, to realize that growth that they see as possible with their business. 
So very popular today. So many business owners may say, you know what, this is a great M&A market right now. We have a lot of dry powder out there. There's a lot of activity. We're seeing high valuations for businesses. So uh, a business owner may say, you know, I really want to take advantage of the current M&A market, but I'm not really ready to let go of the reins completely. I don't want to retire. So we solved that by selling maybe 80% of the business, leaving 20% for the new owner or for the for the uh, original owner of the business to carry on with uh, in that business. Well, that's that's all very interesting to think about. Now, you made a comment. You made a comment about how it is very when it comes to like family succession that in many cases we're not seeing businesses make it to the fourth generation. Uh, I can tell you that I worked for a family business once that was so awful that I ended up (laughs) celebrating the day that I was forced to resign from it. It's my second birthday, April 27th. It's also the foundation of my contributed chapter to Journeys to Success and Millennial Edition. Uh, It was just absolutely awful. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to speculate on what was, what might've actually been going on behind the scenes, but, uh, now another thing that comes to mind when it, when we think of succession and family businesses, for example, is that, you know, you're saying that we're having enough time getting it to the fourth generation of succession. And meanwhile, another trend we're seeing that's very mat micro but may in some ways inform what's going on here is remember in the, the quote unquote old days when the kids would go to the parents' house and divide up what they want from the house while the parents are still alive. (laughs) And one of the trends we see emerging is, is the kids don't want anything. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Very different generation. I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. I, I have heard this for years from my parents. Like, well, what do you want from the house? You should come mark out what you want. And I've said, just, just sell it and give me my cut. I, I, if I, if I wanted it, I already got it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's different now. Why do you think that is? I believe it has a lot to do with one of the things we see with millennials and the Gen Xers and all the ones that come after them overall is this was the first generation that had access to information that enabled them to identify and break patterns that have been passed down from generation to generation to call out certain truths that turned out to not be based in any real fact at all beyond some sort of tradition for which the original provenance was completely forgotten. So in a lot of areas, when it, everything when it comes to everything from inheritances to whether they want to continue in some tradition of a family business to how they choose to raise their kids or where they even choose to have children, this is the first generation that, I mean, actually, I actually meant to say Gen Z, it's not Gen Xers because I'm an Xer, but uh, from the millennials down, these are the group that are able to source new information and have shattered a lot of molds. I think that has a lot to do with it. And when we see, for example, a family business, 
now you have a combination of all the family generational stuff. And then there's all the business generational stuff that come to collide or collude or combine or combust. (laughs) And, uh, and, and the next generation says out of hell with this. Yeah. And, and, and if, and if they are in a situation where it gets passed on to them, whether they want it or not, they're just going to sell it. Yep. Or close it mm-hmm. or, yep. or close it and sell it for parts. Yeah. I, hopefully if it's a, if it's a nice business and it's got good cash flow, the, the kids will come to us and say, you know what? I really, I don't want my parents' life. I don't want to work that hard. I don't want the stress of it. Um, so can you sell it? I mean, we have two uh, family businesses right now that we're working with and both are going to be sold to financial buyers. One is going to be 100% outright sale. Uh-huh. Um, the second one, they have a son working in the business and they would like to reward the son. So we are going to do a recapitalization structure. So we're going to sell 80% of the the business getting liquidity to the parents and then the 20% position that will be rolled into the new entity will be held for the son who's working in the business. So there's a lot of different different ways to handle um, a family business, but succession is not at the top of the list anymore. No, for a lot of reasons. Right. I and For some reason, I think I might've seen this coming 20 years ago, maybe because of my own personal experience, but I think when you just combine all these things that are going on and all the shifts that are happening in our social fabric, I just yeah. don't I just don't see those types of traditions by expectation being carried out for yet another generation. Now, there are some cases I know that the next generations be very excited to inherit the business. Sure. But when and when it's a case where it's either a tradition or an obligation rather than something the next generation really, truly, brilliantly, and passionately wants, they're not going to take it on just because, well, grandpa had the business, and Paul had the business, and Ma had the business, and and uh, Mima had the business, so I want the business too, or it's not going right. to work that way. No, no, no. And and you're right about the, you know, the amount of information is easily accessible at this time, and so this the generations now that are coming up, they have so many options. Whereas, you know, I'm I'm a baby boomer. I'm the bookend of the baby boomers, a 64 baby. And yeah, and, and back then, you know, it was expected. And there weren't so many, there were, were opportunities. This was pre-internet. It was you, you it was a natural to move into the parents' business. And most children spent a lot of time working in the business as they were being brought up. That is not happening anymore at all. It's just a different, different culture. Yeah. So you've mentioned that there are steps to selling a business. I think you said there are seven of them. What what are we looking at here? Yeah, you know, I mean, so many people, business owners, they they really have no idea how to sell a business or or even the fact that there is a particular process that you should follow. They often think, well, you know, it's sort of like selling a house, isn't it? And a lot of people will go to a business broker and, and business brokers most often do follow that process. very similar to selling a house. Um, You know, they entertain one, one buyer. If that buyer works, that's great. If they don't, they move on to the next buyer. But if you're to really sell your business correctly, and engage in what's truly called a mergers and acquisition process, 
that process is, is totally geared towards engaging with multiple buyers. And I always say to ad nauseum that one buyer is no buyer, because if you, if you only are working with one buyer, you have no leverage with that buyer, right? Yeah. So whatever that buyer throws at you, whether it's the structure of the deal that's going to have a negative tax impact or it just isn't the price that it should be, you know, without competition, there's nothing to drive that deal that deal up. So there is a, a real process to selling a business. And, and it, you know, it always begins with preparing the correct documents. And often a business owner will think, oh, I just need my tax returns and my financial statements. I'll you know, I'll give that to the to the buyer and that'll be enough, but that's not enough. And actually, if you're selling your your business based on your financial statements that are not adjusted to show the true profitability of the business, because you know, every business owner is running all kinds of personal expenses through it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they have so so if you give them the financial statements and the tax returns, those are suppressed. That's not true profitability. So mm-hmm. You don't want to. You don't want to do that. So you you have to go through a process where you're, you know, adjusting financials, talking about what the true profitability is and what the potential of the business is. Because buyers are really forward leaning. They're looking to invest in a business to get a return on investment, and the only place they get a return on investment is in the future, right? So one of the big, biggest mistakes that a business owner can can make is to give them their suppressed financial statements that only represent the past. So yeah. If you're, if you're right. So if you're doing it correctly and you're working with an MA advisor like like my company, Legacy Partners, they're going to create um, mergers and acquisition documentation, you know, confidential information memorandum, which shows the true profitability historically, but also be forward leaning and do a pro forma for the future five years in which a buyer can get a return on investment. So that's step one, yeah. getting the right documentation. And then again, engaging and multiple buyers. So you want those marketing documents to go out to a pool of buyers that will attract multiple buyers into what's called a limited auction. So that's the point in the process where we engage with multiple buyers at the same time. Right. And from that, you know, the buyers will issue what's called an indication of interest. That just gives us an idea of where they're where they're falling. You know, we've already done a valuation of our of our clients' business. So we know what the what the what the value is for mergers and acquisition purposes. So if we get a buyer who sends an indication of interest and it's way below market, you know, we know that they're they're probably not, they're bottom feeder, they're probably not a serious buyer. So we're you're looking to get multiple indication of interest from multiple buyers so that you can narrow the field and understand who really is um, a valid um, motivated buyer for the business. So that's that's the step three is engaging with multiple uh, buyers having management meetings, and from that we you'll receive letter of intents, and hopefully we get yeah. several letter of intents. I mean, right now we're working on a deal. Right now we started with uh, forty three buyers. Uh, we got it down to five letter of intents. We had about seven indication of interest. Ended up with five letter of intents, and uh, we just signed a letter of intent. And so. Now we're going on to that next stage in the process after we've negotiated, um, it, we're, we're going into due diligence. And that's when the buyer will do investigate every all of the data that we've provided, all the information and, and verify that it is it is correct. And uh, so that's the uh, sixth step. And then the final step is is closing and um, having your M&E attorney 
uh, review the definitive purchase agreement, uh, negotiate the warranties, reps, and indemnifications, and get the funds wired. <laughs> so it's a real process. And if if your if your listener just remembers this, one buyer is no buyer. If you're working in a true process, if somebody's working with you and they're doing a true process, they're going to bring multiple buyers to the table and run the deal. Wow, that sounds easy. There you go, right? <laughs> There's only about 50 million steps in between all those seven steps. <laughs> right, right. We should yeah. be able to get this done in a week. Yes, exactly. You know, that's a, that's a common question. How long is this going to take me? We used to say nine to 12 months. Um, is an average period of time start to finish. But, you know, we just, we started working with a client in February and we are um, at market and and ready for a letter of intents. And so that was very quick. And deals are running very quickly right now because uh, buyers are extremely motivated. Uh, if you have somebody who's working, you know, through the process with you, um, you know, they can do it as, as efficiently as you provide information, we can we can pull it together and get it to market quickly. Right. So when should you sell? I know that's like the million dollar question. And (laughs) I I know that just based on my understanding of this, everybody has their own answer to this one. Yeah, right. Um, Well, the thing to remember is when you're assessing timing of taking your business to market, there's internal factors that you need to consider and there's external factors. So internal factors that are, those are those factors that are internal and controllable by you, the business owner. And when you have a a valuation done, and if you do this correctly, you'll create what's called, what we call a master exit plan, which is why the book is named Master Your Exit Plan. As part of that master exit plan, the first step is going to be to do a valuation of the business. You have to understand what is the value of your business for M&A purposes. If I'm going to market today, what will it sell for? What is What do we believe based on market conditions the selling price would be? Well, when they do that valuation, they're going to, they're going to look at the quantitative analysis and the qualitative analysis of your company. And that qualitative analysis is going to tell us, are you positioned to attract a buyer if we go to market? That's a big question. That's the big question internally. Are you are you are you positioned to attract a buyer, or do you have weaknesses? And when they do the valuation, they'll uncover the weaknesses. For example, maybe the business is too owner dependent. We can't take you out of the business easily and and transition it to a new to a new owner. There's things that we can do to help with that in the deal, but. Is that a problem, or do you have you have a leadership team um, that is that is not the level that we need in order for it to be attractive. You know, a buyer wants to know that the leadership team is in place and can realize and drive that business to grow in the future. Or you have got too much customer concentration or you've got supply chain issues or, you know, so that's the first question internally. Is it the right time to take my business to market based on the positioning of my company today? Can I attract a buyer? So those are the internal factors. Then you have to say, okay, externally, what's going on? Is it a good time externally to take my business to market? Meaning, are buyers active? Is there capital to be used for M&A deals? Will I get a nice price for my business? Meaning a premium is being paid for businesses. That's the external question. And that's driven by economic factors, which you as a business owner don't control. So the internal you control, the external you don't control. And the external, when you're assessing, is now a time, good time to take my business to market. 
you look at where is the economy. The economy leads and M&A lags behind it. So if we are in a good economy, meaning there's lots of cash available to get deals done, credit is cheap, interest rates are low. And despite us seeing spiking inflation, interest rates going up, when you look at history, we still have very low interest rates. We've just had unprecedented crazy interest rates for the last 10 years since the 2008 financial crisis. We're just starting to get them up to maybe a little bit more normal. So if we've got cash available, credit is cheap, meaning that buyers can leverage a deal without a crazy interest expense related to that leverage, right? So if cash is available, credit is cheap, and confidence in our economy, meaning buyers feel that they're confident if they can invest in a business that they can get the return on investment, then that's a, that's a good time to sell your business. So I always say, sell your business when two things are true. One, you've built a nice, stable business with projected future cash flow that's increasing. And two, economically, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of deal, deal urgency. So if those things are true, the internal and external factors are good, take your business to market. Okay. There you well, go. Uh, and what are... and. Uh, I'm not sure the extent to which we've covered this. So maybe this is going to be a recap or maybe this is a new direction to head in. So what would you say are some of the key ingredients that make a business marketable? Right. This is a real big question that I yeah. myself have. Yeah. And, and, you know, I did touch on those, but the the focus should be on what does the future projection look like? Because just remember that a buyer is buying a business to get a return on investment. And the only place they can get a return on the investment is in the future productivity of the business. So if you have strong future cash flow, strong growth rate, that's what they're looking for. That means it's positioned. So now all of the other factors that I kind of touched on fuel that future growth rate. So do you have a strategic plan that you can lay out to a buyer and say, this is where we are today, but with our strategic plan, this is how we're going to grow the business. And this is the leadership team we have in place that is going to help us realize that strong growth rate. So it's all supporting the buyer's ability to achieve the return on investment. So so all of those factors, I mean, leadership and people are so important right now. I mean, we've got Gosh, we've had low unemployment, right? Um, we've got this big transition, you know, everybody's, you know, the great resignation. So everybody and their brother is complaining about tra- hiring employees. So if you have a great leadership team and you've got great employees and great retention, you know, that's going to make your business more valuable in the eyes of the buyer. So we used to call those deals aqua hiring. So buyers would come in and say, you know, I want to hire, I want to buy this company. You used to see it a lot in tech, right? They didn't have a lot of, you're not seeing a lot of cash flow. Um, They may not even be profitable yet, but you were seeing these big mega tech deals, right? Because they were buying the engineers. So now we're seeing that it used to be, you know, tech sector specific, but now we're seeing it in all sectors. So if you have a good management team in place and and great employees, that makes sure that can make your business highly desirable to a strategic or a financial buyer. So, so everything that supports that strong cash flow, you know, diversified customer base. Most most buyers don't want to see more than fifteen percent of the revenue coming from one customer because what if that customer goes away? 
And we don't know if our big customers are going to go away. Now with the M&A atmosphere we're in now, you don't know if your big customer is going to be swallowed up in an M&A deal. And then all of a sudden you lose the customer, right? So we want to see well-diversified customer base so there's no risk. And if I lose a customer, I lose a big chunk of of that revenue. And of course, you've heard supply chain issues. I mean, you know, what is your supply chain depth? Are you, do you have a reliable flow of resources and materials that are needed to produce, you know, your product or your service? So that's a big deal. Um, having efficient operations. If you're a manufacturing company, we want to know that you're operating under lean principles. So all of those things make, tell you whether you're positioned to go to market or not. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is all, very important for people to understand. And I know myself that I see a lot of folks, particularly in the space that I play in, where their business may not have a whole lot of, or even any of what we might call hard, tangible assets. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Sure. Yeah. So that's, so that's very, so this has been very helpful in terms of understanding how to find value when there is no physical plants, when there is no office, when there's not a lot of machinery. Yeah. What do you think buyers are going to look for in a service-based business? What are they looking for? If I were looking to buy a service-based business, I would Mm -hmm. be looking for two things, really. Number one, an existing customer base and number two, an existing team to serve them. Yep. And you're looking, you're going to look at the quality of the revenue right? Yeah. So you're looking for, you're looking for revenue. So then we start looking at, okay, what, what is the characteristics of the revenue? Do you have recurring revenue? Is your business model sticky? So, so do your customers stick with you? And why do they stick to you? I want to know what your business model is. And I want to know the characteristics of your revenue. Do you have a recurring revenue model where you've got subscription-based revenue coming in or you have contracts coming in? And how are you paid? Are you paid up front or are you paid after you've done what you've done? You know, there's differences in quality of revenue. So for service industry, that's what we're going to really focus on. Okay, great. Great. So now let's say we've sold the business. We're in the process of selling it. What do we need to think about as we prepare for post-ownership life? Yeah. I want you to prepare for that, Adam, way at the beginning. So when when we do a master exit plan, we do a valuation. In that valuation, we find some, some weaknesses there. We create for our clients an optimization uh, plan. So an optimization plan or all of the strategies and tactics, all of the steps you can take in order to increase the value of the business. And then once we've done that and we understand the value of the business, we want to, we want to talk to you about what, define what the exit strategy is, right? What are you going to do? Most will sell to a third party. Okay. If you sell to a third party, what will the structure be? And what will be the net investable proceeds? Now I'm getting to your post ownership here. So what are the net investable proceeds? And if we put that into your, your personal financial plan, we want you to understand what that will mean to you. And when we do that, so this is before you've made a decision to go to market. You have all this laid out for you. And then you say, okay, well, if I do sell net of taxes, net of fees, this is what I'll be left over. What does it mean to me? Now we do the post-ownership plan. 
What do you want to do with your life after you sell your business? If you're doing a recapitalization and you're going to buy back an equity position, we know you're going to carry on in the business. But then we get into details on that. Like what kind of employment contract do you want? How many years do you really want to stay? Or if you're selling it completely outright, what does that post-ownership look like? And we want to understand what are your expectations? What are you going to do physically, socially, emotionally? To, to engage and remake your life. And I'm saying this in conjunction with the personal financial plan, because when we when we put you through that entire process of defining what your post-ownership plan is, we need to put, we need to put a number on it. What is it going to cost me? So if you're saying my goal is to travel the world, then I want to know how much that's going to cost. And when we say travel the world, what does that really mean? I mean, how many countries are we talking about? And do you want to do, go to you know, hostels, or are we talking about, you know, Chateau Relay properties? <laughs> so, right. Uh, right. So, but we want the owner to really dive into that post ownership plan and we want them to understand what that's going to be like. And again, I have sold two businesses already myself. One of them I ran for 17 years, I had a transition period. I will never forget the day that all of a sudden I wasn't getting emails. And I called my assistant and I said, something's wrong with my email. Can you call our tech guy and find out I'm not getting my emails in? And she said to me, Chris, yesterday was your last day of your transition period. You no longer have any involvement in your old company. And although I had already, I had started my other, uh, the next company seven years prior, I was fully engaged in another business, but I still felt like my left arm was cut off. And I'm an M&A person. I knew exactly what to expect, and it still stunned me. So we don't want our business owners to sell their business and then feel like their left arm is cut off and go into a big depression. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we want them to be, we really want them to be planned. I always say, I don't want you running away from your company. I want you running towards something. And I want you to have a really good vision of what that is and understand specifically all of the steps you're going to take to realize whatever that vision is. Right, right. Okay, so I want to make sure we highlight this before we finish up here. Uh, as we say at the very beginning, 81% of business owners want to exit their businesses. Well, before we ask the question, is it, is it really the case that four out of five business owners want out? Yeah, I mean, we're talking demographics. So right now, um, the vast majority of privately held businesses are owned by baby boomers. So anybody over the age of, I think it's like 70% of business, privately held businesses are owned by uh, people who are over the age of 58. I think that's U.S. Census Bureau data. Um, okay. And so they're, they do want to get out of, out of it. And it's actually the whole pandemic spurred that on. Um, it, it kind of forced it a little bit ahead of time than what we expected because, because of the supply chain disruptions. I mean, we have clients who are just looking at us like, get me out. I know it's a good MA market. I just, you know, I just want to get, get on with my life. And I don't want to have to deal with the employee issues, the labor issues, the supply chain issues. I, they just don't want to deal with it. So yeah, yeah, those are the statistics. It's daunting, really. I'm wondering who's going to do my dry cleaning soon. Well, that's <laughs> wow. That yeah, you know, that's something to think about. Now, what is the key element that they'll fail if they don't have? 
if they don't have right, if they don't understand that they need advisement and they try to do it on their own, that's the biggest mistake business owners make. And I get it. So you've run a business, any business owner who's been successful has run it for years, maybe decades. You know, they've, they've negotiated with all kinds of people, customers, suppliers, employees, you know, they're really good at running a business. And so they think they can take on selling their business and they underestimate uh, they underestimate how the process is done. And um, it's a completely different ballgame from anything they've ever done. And so what they do is what happens is we're in a really good market right now. So buyers are calling business owners directly or buyers representatives. A lot of our, almost all of our clients have, have received a phone call from a buyer or a buyer's rep directly. If a business owner engages with the buyer directly, the chances of the deal succeeding are very low. And I'll tell you, private equity groups and strategic buyers that work with us, they love us because it costs them a lot of money and time, all kinds of resources to pursue an acquisition. And they want their targets to have representation because they know the chances of a deal closing are going to be much higher. Because if a buyer tries to sell his, uh, a seller tries to sell his business on his own, the chances of that deal failing are astronomically high. Yeah. All right. So, so as we, as we finish here, uh, I guess, tell us a bit about how legacy partners works and what people can expect when they contact you. Yeah. um, So what we do is we look at um, a business owner in a very comprehensive fashion. So if you go to a M&A, a strict M&A advisor, we're, we're exit planning strategists who have a specialty in M&A, and we do run M&A deals for our clients. But our difference is, is that we look at them in a much more comprehensive way. If you go to an M&A advisor, traditionally, they're just going to represent you to sell your business. And they're not going to do an M&A valuation and tell you, this is, this is what the value of your company is. This is what it will mean and do a personal financial plan to give them clarity as to what selling my business will mean. Um, and they won't um, help you position the company, which you can do things while you're going to market that'll make it more valuable. Um, they don't provide that advisement. They certainly don't address the um, post-ownership planning. And we also take it one step further and we review their estate planning and make sure that that's aligned uh, with their goals. And most business owners haven't even touched that in years or decades sometimes. Um, yeah. So we're a little more comprehensive. So um, when they come to us, they can expect that they'll have, uh, before they are become a client, there'll be several conversations. Um, we want to be very clear on what the owner's goals are and uh, be clear on how we can help them. And then uh, once they come on as a um, as a client, Every single client that we've ever worked with has said that they just felt like a a great sense of relief because they knew somebody was taking it off of their lap um, and that they could just run the business and know that we were going to help them go through this exit planning process and get them into the M&A advisory um, service and selling their business in a way where they could just have somebody who was controlling the whole process for them. And it's, it's a huge weight off the shoulder. 
Great, great, great. Yeah. Absolutely. So again, I'll point out to everybody, once again, your website is at LegacyPartnersLLP.com. And with that, Chris Banderzyden, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. It's good. It's good to, to speak with you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate you helping to spread the good word. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.